and welcome to Write Flex, the weekly writing podcast nobody asked for. My name is Leah, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-hosties with the co-hosties, Jen and Jesse. Hey. Yeah. So we are coming to the end of November. What is everyone's nano word count right now? Oh, God. Um... <laughs> So definitely had a hard time this past week because I was visiting my family, which honestly, that's what I focused on was just hanging out with my family and my nephew who's like six months old. Oh, baby. Uh, He's so cute. Um, But yeah, obviously, while I'm holding a baby on my waist and he cries, I'm not really writing. So props to the parents out there who are doing NaNoWriMo because, oh, my God, it is so hard. Um, So I got like. I got like a total of maybe like 2000 words in the past week. So oh. my word counts like really it's like I could look at it on the website, but I think it's just over 20,000. Oh, so we're at the same spot, Jen. I don't have family or baby excuses, but I probably wrote about 2000 as well. So I think last week I was around 14,000. I think right now I'm at 16,000. And I am sitting in with kind of the same jump at a roughly 7,000 word count. So plug it along, yeah. but nowhere near where I need to be. So you actually started the week in San Francisco at the Night of Writing Dangerously. What was that like? Yeah, talk us through that, Jane. Um, that was actually really awesome. Did you just call me a Jane, by the way? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, um, it was amazing. I, I went to it not really knowing what to expect. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a lot of games or a lot of writing or if it was going to be just like a social event where we had to like dance, honestly. Cause I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was really unsure. Um, was it going to be a First, the worst <laughs> writing event ever would be, hey, writers, I know you normally work yeah. by yourself. Come dance. Yeah, seriously. All room full of nerds. Yeah. Um, it, it was mostly writing, which is, um, I think, the best thing for, you know, a group of writers is just to get together and write together. So that was a lot of fun, um, especially because as you're writing, you can turn to people and be like, hey, like, what do you think of this? Uh, I got like a, they w- went around and passed out prompts and uh, twists to kind of like get you Mm. writing and one of the ones that I got that I loved that uh is gonna it was spliced into the last episode was um was the prompt oh god what was it again it was your character is dead (laughs) and you bring them back to life and I had a lot of fun with that because I was not writing fantasy now I am because someone was dead and I brought them back to life so (laughs) I could have I could have taken that like metaphorically I suppose but I took it literally uh, and around the table, um, I had a bunch of other people. Like, I had someone from Germany on, uh, at my table, and that was amazing because she had decided that she was not going to attend Night of Writing Dangerously unless she wrote every single day for a full year. Oh, wow. And she freaking did it for 365 Holy days. Cow. She wrote every single day. So she treated herself by uh, traveling to the United States for the Night of Writing Dangerously. And wow. uh, she was actually recognized by one of the speakers, the actual uh, Grant Faulkner is the, he's the like executive of NaNoWriMo. Um, he was like on stage and like mentioned her and I was like, oh shit, that's the chick at my table. Like, that's awesome. Uh, he was really cool. Yeah. Can you ever imagine like having like that much tenacity or, or anything like that? That Such much stuff. discipline? Discipline. That's the word unheard of and too bold yeah too i'm like bold. i'm like um, i would have no, been yeah. like i said i was gonna write for a week and i would come here and i wrote for five days close enough i'm here you know <laughs> i was about to say year. so you sat with the plastics you got to sit with the cool kids oh, yeah. it really was like sitting with the cool kids i mean we had a dude mel mel was my favorite mel was from new york he was an older dude um and we all went around the table talking about like what we were writing and i was like oh yeah fantasy and like most people at the table were like yeah fantasy a couple people weren't writing fantasy but him he surprised me the most he's like yeah i'm writing a romance novel and i'm just like what this is, like that's amazing he's like this straight up just like i mean he just he surprised me the most because he was like kind of a cool guy from new york i was expecting like a mystery novel or you know just something like stereotypical or like you know he was writing the next like hemingway inspired you know whatever something or something rapes of wrath i don't know new york something like that but yeah taxi driver part two but he was writing a really 
sweet romance novel and I just thought that was the coolest ever and I love when I'm surprised like that. It takes a lot of guts to admit that to a bunch of strangers though. Well I, I've met a lot of people at different writing events for NaNoWriMo at least where people were just like telling like straight up like they're they're all very comfortable admitting romance. Some of them are really comfortable admitting that they're writing erotica and will give you TMI the whole time describing their novel and I'm just like dear god like <laughs> more power to you. I absolutely love it but wow I did not need that kind of information first time i meet you <laughs> yeah i was surprised when uh did you announce your novel leah on the nano website i think i did yes i mean you can just click through and have it be untitled it doesn't matter yeah but it has like an option like a bunch of options like what's the genre and then it does have like erotica and i was surprised the first time a couple of years ago when i clicked on that that they were so open with that because there was also a million other categories so you could have just been like yeah i'm writing a fantasy erotica and click like fantasy So it's interesting Mm -hmm. that they have those lines that these are different. They might overlap. Well, with any genre, you can have a a fantasy Western. You can have a mystery sci-fi. Especially post-Outlander, you know, where everything is everything now. That's true. I really love the idea of a fantasy Western. Once you said that, my my brain was just like, hell yes. Aliens versus cowboys, right? (laughs) Yeah, cowboys versus aliens. You can argue that Star Wars is a fantasy Western. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs this week on Netflix, the new Coen Brothers movie. Oh, no, I haven't. Not yet. Didn't. It's I just haven't like six yet. six small stories in the West, but the last one deals with like a sort of, it's not fantasy, but it's a more like a supernatural Western. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fun. I, I will say, though, that while I was visiting, I hung out with my sister and my mom, and we marathoned this show called Manifest. Have you heard of it? Oh, that's the one where the airplane disappears, right? Yeah, the airplane disappears for five years like in terms of like reality it's five years have passed but everyone on the plane just thinks it's a normal flight so when they land they're like hey this is normal Uh like nothing has really changed but like when they land there's like um police and like fbi agents and they're like it's been five years what the fuck you know and no one had aged or anything it was so cool is it like lost or is it more like something else it's kind of like lost where there's a lot of mysteries and strange things happening and sort of mystical things happening that you don't quite understand. And neither do the people who um, were on the plane. They don't understand what's happening to them. Like they seem to have some sort of ability to like foretell the future, but not quite really. Oh, it's, okay. uh, there's like limitations to it. It's really, it's a strong show at, at this point. I'm going to keep watching it. So um, what else happened at this night of writing dangerously? Obviously writing. Oh, yeah. So a lot of writing. Was there um, a band? Played... Was there like a DJ and dancing? And... There was really awesome film scores that they played. Oh, okay. Um, so writing music. But at the very end, as like a way to like end the night, they had someone playing bagpipes, which was Ugh. super cool. Um, <laughs> they apparently do that every year, and they didn't know that. So that was really cool. That's, That's the dangerous a... part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually didn't know that was going to happen. So, like, I was, like, in the bathroom like, earlier <laughs> in the night. And I heard someone practicing bagpipes. And I'm like, where the hell? Why the hell? And it was coming from the staff room. And I was like, why is the staff, like, playing, like, bagpipe music? Like, that is so random. But then why not? the dude actually played in real life. And that was cool. Like, when you uh, said dancing, too, I'd imagine just that dancing scene in Night's Tale. Where they do, like, the Elizabethan <laughs> dancing to Queen or whatever that dumb scene is that I like so much. Uh, I think that would be a lot of fun, but no, yeah, we didn't, we didn't dance. There was no dancing and the room was full of tables. There was barely enough seats for everyone. Yeah. Um, and the food that they served was so good. Mm-hmm. Oh God, it was so good. It was like really, really healthy and delicious. So no salty pretzels, no chips. No. <laughs> there were chips and there was a candy buffet and, you know, there was candy some bread. trash out there that I, you know, completely gobbled. But Was it an open bar or did you have to have like drink tickets and stuff? There was an open bar, although I actually really didn't take advantage of it that much because I honestly just really wanted to focus on writing. And you could have made your money back your, for your ticket just right there. Yeah, but by drinking like crazy amount. Seven, eight, four um, locos inside of a champagne glass. Yeah, I honestly just had a dirty. Um, what is it called? The Seven Up with Cherry. The oh, a dirty Shirley. Yep, dirty Shirley. There's, that's all I drank. Was just, I had a lot of fun though. Um, the the funnest part of the evening though was actually right at the beginning uh they did a bingo um raffle ticket so you had to walk around the room introduce yourself to a bunch of strangers and just basically try to fill out your bingo card by you know finding certain types of writers like someone who was writing mystery someone who's writing about aliens 
someone who had never done nano before, someone who was an ML. So I got to sign ML for a lot of people. Um, it was a lot of fun though, like finding people, finding out pe uh, people's specific types of writing and all that just through that bingo game. It was, that was the highlight for me. Did you meet any people who you knew that you didn't know were going to be there? Or yes. Okay. So apparently Seattle was super well represented. I did not expect it. There were, there were two full tables of oh, wow. Seattle people. There's a famous music video for NaNoWriMo uh, called just literally the NaNoWriMo song. A lot of people have seen the music video because it's just like kind of funny and cute. The person who made that was there and she's from Seattle and I never knew this. Oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. crazy. That's it was really, name. it was really cool. Um, I had a lot of fun with all that. And there was, um, there was one of the women that I had hung out with at a lot of Seattle events was there. She actually sat at my table with me. Oh, you um, didn't know that? Well, I didn't know she was going to go. And here's the thing, this girl, I'd seen her at all of my events in the past three years that i've hosted she's really cool and she like every year um at the midnight write-in for like the first day of nano it's it's halloween night so everyone dresses up in halloween costumes every year she dresses up in a lobster costume <laughs> <laughs> so she's just dressed up as this giant lobster and she just seems like you know silly and like all that and i've always just kind of assumed she was like the rest of us where you know writing is maybe her passion but mostly she can only get to it after you know her nine to five stuff. dude she is a professional published writer who Ooh. like her full-time job is writing her novels and she gets like advances like a legit writer oh, and wow. i was like oh my god this is literally for me for years she was lobster girl who i loved but i'd never like been intimidated by her until i found out she was like a legitimate writer who had been published and gets paid to write and i was like that is insane i'm so jealous and i love you <laughs> are the published books the things that she's writing in nano or are they something else like things like like some I, of them yeah so she working in what she wants to work in there's a little bit of a little bit no, of it's totally what she wants to write she's she's writing yeah she's writing young adult stuff um man though she was really hesitant to tell me the titles of her books and i was like okay you don't want me stalking you i got it <laughs> so you're gonna give them all out right now right right <laughs> just name drop real hard Personal name, <laughs> social security number. I can't remember the name of her novels right now. I feel bad. I should. I wrote them down somewhere. I should find them. And, you know, maybe at the end of episodes, we can be like, eh, this is the book I recommend or something. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Speaking of lobster costumes, were anybody in costumes? I saw that the theme was noir, right? Was it noir? Yes, it was noir. And there were so many people dressed up in the noir theme. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I was not dressed up in that theme. I tried to look kind of dressed up but i didn't have anything noir e especially because i was yeah. like traveling by plane i didn't really know what to bring that i could bring in luggage but one of my favorite costumes was actually grant faulkner the executive guy right the executive director um mm -hmm. he was dressed in just like normal like suit right normal clothes but then he wore a hat that was like very noir for a woman but not very typical of men. So it was really fun that he was wearing it with like this like big flower and like dangly like oh, feather on it. It was really cute. Oh, I like that. It was, it was pretty fun. So I think we should all try to go next year as the right sweats. We should. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. Yes. So technically they were saying that this was the last event, but oh, during no. the event ever. Yeah. Ever. But during the event, Grant Faulkner on stage was really hesitant to say it was the last one he said i yeah. don't want to say this is the last one is what he said exactly so i mean hopefully that means that they have something in the works to maybe prolong this type of event or yeah. something else they can do to replace it i think that would be really amazing so i i hope they can do that now well, jen did you go to any uh and this kind of extends maybe to your after going to the night of writing dangerously did you go to any of them san francisco bookstores I did City go Lights. to some bookstores. Uh, yeah, I didn't go to any uh, of the. I didn't go to the, any of the like Powell's, iconic, famous ones. I Powell's, Powell's the last is in bookstore, Portland. Borders. I did go to Barnes and Noble. <laughs> <laughs> I love Barnes and Noble. 
I do too. I didn't buy anything though because uh, you know I, I would never have bought anything. <laughs> <laughs> Barnes and Noble's always just no, oh, that's nice. This is a pretty book. Well, where right, you go bye. to like write it down? Was... Yeah, I, I go there to take pictures of what I'm going to buy on Amazon. <laughs> well, we went to we went last week down to there's like a an actual like Amazon bookstore a little whiles away from us. Well, they we opened went... up another one because the first one ever was in Seattle. Yeah, it's also strangely <laughs> next to a Shake Shack, which is not a lot of on uh, the West Coast. But it's a lot. The mall has a lot of those like online brands. Yeah, they have like a Warby Parker and a Bonobos and stuff like that. That's really cool. That's really cool. I'm so happy that the Amazon bookstore thing is working out because what the very first one that opened the one that opened in U Village in Seattle was so amazing. I. You know, and there's all that talk of like, don't support Amazon, support local bookstores. Yeah. But after I went, to- I hate it. Do you really like it? Oh, I loved it. I don't know what it's like in San Diego, but it's and- probably exactly the same. I mean, the Seattle one is just like it has this like huge area where you can sit down and charge your phone. Oh, this like- one doesn't. Yeah, this one very much didn't, and it had a fairly limited selection. Yeah, it was definitely like just the top fifty. You know, oh, entry. interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the selection really was limited, but it's really close to UCSD. So I can imagine as a student, like if your packages are always getting swiped from your dorm, being uh-huh. able to send it to something like a bookstore and pick it up, that would be super convenient. But if it was more of like an experience, like you're saying, I think I enjoyed it. Because it really was Definitely. just like, if you had just put in the one we went to in like a airport, you didn't have to change anything. It was an airport bookstore. You know? Oh, I see. Yeah. No, the one in Seattle small. is really cozy and it does have a limited selection. It does. It has like all the different types of genres you might be you know curious about but it has like the top selling in that genre right yeah it's not where you would go to try and find like a niche book where'd you go in san francisco you went to just barnes and noble or well i also went to like amazon go actually which is that store where you walk in and then you walk out well you do pay but you don't go to a cashier right yeah you just go (laughs) in and you walk out and i shoplift everything It really felt like shoplifting. It was really strange. Like, as I was exiting, like, I turned to, like, the little attendant, and I was like, I can just go, right? And he's like, yep, just go. And I'm like, God, how, that how feels so that weird. How do they know who you are? Uh, you When you walk in, you use your phone to basically um, sign oh, okay. in to being in the store. Like, you swipe your phone as if you were, you know, swiping a bus ticket or something. So it oh, knows God. who you are. And the whole time, it, it's just, like, cameras and sensors, like, uh cataloging what you grab it was very interesting that's interesting i want to go so bad yeah it's a lot of fun i definitely felt stalked but it was great (laughs) yeah i don't know there's a company i'm more excited about and that i hate more than amazon you know like yeah no amazon feels like it's taking over the world but it's like at the moment i'm like yes take it over but they're so scary but i'm still kind of down for it all for like a little bit i'm like yeah cool like integrate everything like i bought an amazon echo dot alexa oh yeah My brother actually bought that for me for Christmas while I was down in California, and I was super stoked about it. But then I'm like, "Oh man, it it might listen to me all day, every day." Not might, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we've been in our friend's house, and they have one, and we refer to her as their robot child if we don't want her to wake up. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I wonder if I could use her for like note taking or something like that with writing. I wonder if I'd be like Alexa, you know, whatever, write this down or something. I'm going to look into that. That would be Yeah, handy. I don't see why you couldn't be able to dictate to it. Oh, yeah. yeah. That would be really great. I mean, that's the whole point. She's supposed to be like your assistant. Yeah, yeah. I know you can make her do your coffee and like your thermostat and like order stuff for yeah. you, all that shit. But I really would. That would be great if, if I could. Smart. That'd yeah. be great if she could be basically like my little like assistant where I'm like, please write this. Now, page. did you go to any of the humble bookstores? Let me name them. Tim Can Millman, Northtown Books. This is more of a test for myself. Eureka Books, the Booklegger, and then all the other ones. I know one of those stores, I think. Yes, yeah, something out. did. Arcade or Eureka? I don't remember which that one. Not Tin Can Millman. That one's still going strong. I think the other one that was on the plaza oh, is Northtown. no longer there. Yeah, I North wouldn't believe Man that because Northtown sold new books. All those rest of them are, are used bookstores. Well, and I think also the person who owned it may have retired, but don't quote me. But anyways, no, I did not actually get the chance to go anywhere in Humboldt, really, because I was really busy hanging out with my family and babysitting yeah. my little nephew. So I I didn't do the whole, like, normal store visits I would do. I mean, not, Humboldt's cool because it's got local yeah. towns. But 
It's got the local shops, though, that are, you know, special because you literally can't go to a store like that anywhere but there. And that's pretty exciting. But what other town has a large head shop inside the mall? (laughs) A what? You're in Arcata, though, so it's a bit more like whimsical. I went through Eureka and I actually got really inspired to write because, man, I remember when I was in college in Humboldt. I just I wrote so much when I was in college. Yeah. I you know yeah, I had to do homework to write. When you were talking about being in the room where everyone was writing, that reminded me instantly of when we used to stay up all night writing all school papers. Yeah, and we would just like chill out in a room just writing together. Fun, but oh, just just too caffeinated and can hardly think. But we're all there, you know. And if you want to talk about stuff that's that feels like that when Jesse and I were up there over the summer for his sister's wedding, we stayed in this little like one room suite Airbnb, like right in like old town Eureka. And it had these giant, beautiful windows. Everything was like wood floors, high ceilings. You could see right out to the bay. And like, that's the space that I wish I could be in right now. Like the physical space I wish I could put myself in because you get that fresh sea air you're in kind of like an old building that kind of gives you its own little history flair. And you just don't get that in Southern California. Well, I mean, I think you do, but it's also a matter of distance. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. in it to, for me except what I project onto it. And in humble, and I don't know about Eureka especially, but Eureka especially for me, because that's where I grew up. It is, it is blue velvet. You know what I mean? Like it is, it is Twin Peaks where it's, it's so placid, but there's also this sort of, sinisterness to the placidity that it's hard to get inside of bigger towns because things are just kind there of was a sort of sinister yeah. vibe to parts of eureka that i was going through i took my mom's car out and it was just like i drove up to the ingomar club and i'm like god yes. that'd be so good to write a novel about the ingomar and just make it all up because i don't care about the true history of ingomar honestly i yeah. want a fake history that i make up about how like it's like some evil vampire mansion or some shit all right like that's why you have to yeah. remember to get inside ingomar because for fucking vampires okay so this is completely <laughs> silly but we just watched uh, jurassic world fallen kingdom and in the movie one of the big locations is you know northern california and it's very obviously like the humboldt area and they have this big house and that's what I turned to Jesse. I'm like, why did they bother making this giant CG ugly house thing that they did? They should have just used like that house. Yeah, that bothered me the whole time because it was like a it was like a five story like English manor, and I'm like, well, that would just be like a Victorian. So you would just use the Ingomar Club because it's a five story Victorian. Yeah. yeah, and it would have been so much cooler to think of this like weird old building that could have had so much history as just like. Here's the eccentric dinosaur man's house. The best part about those buildings, which helps a lot for these things, and I'm sure the Ingmar has to be full of them, they all have fake walls, fake doors, fake passages. Yes, 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 yes. Like, it's like, that's normal. They'll have, they'll have secret rooms, and that's just because, like, that's where the, the maid would live, you know. Well, and I actually have been inside the Ingmar Club. Um, that's right, I never have, for some reason. Yeah, I got to go inside of the Ingomar Club and, you know, they wouldn't let you take pictures or anything like that. But they did. They gave me a tour of all the cool different things inside of it. And You've I been also- in, in there. You've been in Club 33. Like, <laughs> what kind of secret society should we have you infiltrate next? Listen, it's vampires, I swear. Like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Just get in with the vampires. They'll take you everywhere. That's what I've been hoping for my whole freaking <laughs> life. <laughs> so what else about uh, the Night of Riding Dangerously? question was was there any speakers or anything or was it just there were a ton of speakers yeah and they were really cool we had um the executive director and the program director um the lead of like the young writers program which is nanorimo's you know outreach for children to get them writing right like the The director involved that yeah young writers (laughs) uh that person gave a speech it was a lot of fun i actually wrote down a lot of quotes from that that were really cool so that reminds me of yeah. That reminds me of all those conferences I went to in grad school. You know. Yeah, I mean, I really had a lot of fun um, just listening to the speakers, honestly. And I, uh, I got to have my photo taken by a professional photographer, my Ooh. author photo. Ooh, yeah. So I'm Book looking forward to photos. Getting, I'm yeah, I'm looking great. forward to getting that in the mail because I'm gonna put that on my LinkedIn and all that shit. Boom, oh, yeah. boom, boom. Although That's I was dressed up like pretty silly. I mean, I was dressed nice, but. I did try to go noir by dressing up a little silly and like doing my makeup funny. 
You look so like kind of a weird... in the second season of Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, maybe a bit. Slick back um, hair. And I didn't slick back my hair. hair. Although I didn't bring my hair straightener to California. So my hair was literally just in a really tight bun because I, I needed to like just contain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or else the humidity makes it poof. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, that's the other thing about my trip to San Francisco and Night of Riding Dangerously. The smoke in San Francisco was so oh, yes. bad. It it was so bad. I mean, literally, I didn't even know. Okay. I had a really nice hotel room. You could look out the window and see all these sky rises. It was beautiful. Um, on my last day there, as I was getting ready to check out, I look out the window and I'm like, holy fuck. That is the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, this whole time, oh, the Golden damn. Gate Bridge was in view of my hotel, but I couldn't see it because of the smoke. Did you get a mask at all, or were you just... Yes, I got a mask. Yeah. I did get a mask. Um, it was smoky in Seattle all summer, and I never wore a mask. But when was I was in San Francisco, it was smoky. We had smoke okay. from Canada that um, came down. And it was just mm-hmm. as bad as San Francisco, if not worse, for a few days. Um. But I wore a mask while I was in San Francisco anyway, because uh, the whole time I was walking around and traveling. So I just didn't want to die. <laughs> yeah. And it was really like uh, kind of cool. Like that's good novel fuel, honestly. Yeah. Just these people in these masks. Some people were like making fashion statements out of their masks. <laughs> and it was just kind of interesting to imagine a future where, you know, our lives are full of smoke, like some sort of dystopia where everyone and the masks become like a status symbol. You make them cooler and oh, cooler yeah. to you know represent your wealth people who can't afford masks are you know like the poor and you know irrelevant of society oh, and they're just wearing good bandanas stuff. and clothes and mm-hmm. well doesn't yeah. doesn't uh i don't know if the movie does but i think the blade runner short story takes place in san francisco i think it's kind of similar to that not exactly like that obviously yeah that that's it was fun to kind of see the world a different way that way uh it's fun to be a tourist sometimes too. You don't it really have any. Well, and it was it was warmer for you, wasn't it? Going south. The actually the weather was pretty much the same oh, in San okay. Francisco as Seattle. Um, it would have been so cold for me. I'm so used to it not being cold anymore that I die when I go up there. Yeah, I'm still. I still hate. I hate weather that's colder than seventy. But I also love rain so i'm always kind of i say you went the wrong direction then in life yeah. she grew up in seattle and then went down you i grew up in olympia right which is like an hour or so away from seattle but yeah it's sorry cold there too <laughs> where the beer is from right there is olympia beer from there yeah cool <laughs> cool good to know you can't see him uh thumbs upping <laughs> um well i feel like that's everything i can say about night of running danger to see why don't we move on to our next segment, which is help a brother out. So Jesse's got the question this week. Yeah. So we're almost about to the end of Nano. And I was kind of curious what you guys thought about uh, when is a good time to stop accelerating your plot a little bit and kind of shifting into that final gear of the end, you know, not the end so much, but that, that landing strip you need for uh, a conclusion. Cause I find it's hard to sometimes do that. I like to, Build, 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 and then realize I'm too far. Put in a climax in two pages, and then things are done, you know? Oh, yeah, it's sort of like the... You either run into the everything ends and it just shuts off and there's no real resolution. Yes. Or you get to the, like, we talk a lot about it, but, like, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where, you know, they throw the ring into Mount Doom and they go back to Gondor and they wrap all that. And then they go back to the Shire and they wrap that up nicely. And then they get on the boat and they wrap mm-hmm. that up. You know, you end it six times, just try to bring everything all down. When I like that, it's just sometimes I can't even get to that. Sometimes I think I'm doing that and truly I'm doing nothing. Well, do you have in mind when you write, do you know what feeling you want to get from the end? Even if you don't necessarily know what's going to happen at the end, do you want to feel like you triumph do you want it to feel open-ended like there's another mystery to solve well i think that's a bit of the issue is i think last week we talked about it where i said i went into writing not knowing anything Mm -hmm. and you guys were a little surprised by that uh so i think there's a little bit of going in with that energy of i don't know what this is let me feel it out almost sort of feeling like i'm clawing through a dream a little bit those sorts of stories start off really interesting and they're easy to 
keep going for me. But they don't lend themselves to an ending. So I think it's a little tough sometimes. So I never go in with an Yeah. Well, sometimes at the end, if you want it to feel like a dream, sometimes that last moment right before you wake up is where something completely insane happens. That's true. Where your brain sort of has that disconnect with the dream world and it feels like it needs to overthink it and reconcile it and that's sometimes what wakes you up so maybe you don't need to you know head toward that landing strip maybe you need to just make a sharp turn yeah and then end it well not to bring this up a second time but i'm gonna bring this up all the time there's also a thing where i don't know if i i mind not having an ending i think it's a matter of readership i think if i have a reader i have to maybe have an ending if it's just for myself i don't want to or i don't care so much but that in mind I've seen a lot of things where they have a reader in mind and they don't have an ending. And I think it works. I want to talk, I'll bring up uh, Twin Peaks The Return. Mm -hmm. The ending of that is... Bananas. Yeah, a guy with a green glove punches a ball a bunch of times and that's the end of the series, you know? But I'm still thinking about it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So, So it's hard to reconcile those things sometimes. Well, you know what, though? You don't have to earn the right to do that. You can just do what you want to do, write what you want to write. That's true. There is like Dan Harmon's whole um, writing structure that I really like to use for my Mark Harmon? Dan Harmon. Oh, okay. The creator of uh, Rick and Morty. Oh, okay. Community. He has a really... he. If you ever need writing advice on plot structure, he's super great for that. And his whole thing is basically that the first part of the novel is the person needing to enter somewhere new, a new world. And this needs to be like character-centric, the way that he structures it. It's um, the enter a new world unchanged. And then they have five seasons and a movie. <laughs> yep. And they come out of it changed. So that's the idea is they enter unchanged. They enter unchanged or they. Yeah, they're in stasis. Oh, okay. I, th- I thought you meant that the, the somewhere new was unchanged. Yeah, no, the, the actual character is unchanged. They're in stasis. So it's Joel McHale going to, to Greendale. Yeah. And yeah. then when they come out the other side, they'll have to sacrifice something big, something they didn't expect. They don't really get what they want out of this new place. Yeah. So when they leave it and return home, they've been changed. And you can decide if that's for the better or worse, whatever. But that's his structure. And I usually go with that. Just basically mm-hmm. uh, the goal of bringing my character from static to changed. I, I think that has worked well for me. But to be honest, Jesse, I 99% of the time, absolutely never finish anything that i've ever written like i straight for nano you know i write a lot i don't write endings i just write fifty thousand words and that may not take me to an ending well and i think you need to remind me remind myself remind yourself if you are writing another person and not yourself the same things that inspire you like takes the return there are people that did love that they may not be vocal on the internet because get jumped on by trolls but there are people Mm -hmm. that did enjoy it and so you may not have that specific person in mind but Mm -hmm. if you like it chances are there's someone else that likes it that's true write the novel that you want to read there's also have you seen the netflix show maniac not Not yet yet. yeah all right well i don't want to spoil anything too much then but i i will say that it's very dreamlike and the ending even though it gives you a satisfactory ending that you would totally expect out of most shows, like, right? Like everything wraps up and it's clean. You still feel like it isn't. And that was Mm -hmm. a very, uh, it was very like successfully accomplished. So that might be something to watch to kind of see if you want to explore that kind of ending where it's clean, but not really satisfied, like complete, I guess. Yeah. Did you see um, Corey Fukunawa's other work, uh, True Detective season one with McConaughey and Woody Harrelson? No. And I always wanted to see that. And I know it's a lot like that where there's a lot of themes brought up that aren't, don't kind of pay off, but a couple months later after you watch it, you're like, Oh, that was something. I don't know what it was, but it was something and it was, significant and good and kind of stuck with me well and one of the reasons that i started years and years and years ago writing fan fiction was because i always felt that there was something that was not fully explored in the things i was watching or reading yeah so leaving that just leaves room for attachment for someone else's creativity to pick up where you chose to leave off that's actually very true and that's something that i really respect about a lot of my favorite writers like captive prince is one of my favorite novels of all time and it's because the writer uh it's cap captive prince it started out as actually a serial 
story on the internet and eventually got picked up by Penguin and published. And it's a really cool story um, that takes place in kind of like the Mediterranean. It's a fantasy. And this uh, this prince gets, he has like a revenge plot. So he goes to this other nation and uh, pretending to be a slave for this other nation tr- in an attempt to kill the other prince. And um, anyway, they end up falling in love, <laughs> which is really oh, <laughs> There you go. Because I'm like, isn't that just the Count of Monte Cristo? Uh, <laughs> not quite but yeah yeah and it's like a very slow burn type romance but at the same time there are these really huge issues of how to run a country and slavery and things like that just dealt um, with at the same time through these stories it's really good but what i love the most is that the writer because she was a serial fiction writer she understands people's attachment to fan fiction things like that so she was very intentional about leaving room for people to imagine what they want to imagine or, you know, carry the story on further. People have asked her for more explicit descriptions of even character appearance. And she has literally said, I won't tell you how long his hair is because I want you to imagine how long his hair is. Well, and I think that's one of the big issues that people have been having, myself included, with some of the expansions in the Harry Potter universe <laughs> is the things that I was imagining for years as a child when my imagination was really at its most active is now being answered kind of to a point where I don't want to know the answers anymore. You weren't sure wondering this entire time, what exactly were the crimes of Grindelwald? (laughs) (laughs) I will say too, that one of the biggest things I loved about, you know, imagining Harry Potter worlds was Dumbledore as a character because he was so fascinating and so unexplored. And these recent films, like Crimes of Grindelwald, I did watch that and I liked it. I had a great time watching Crimes of Grindelwald because I, you know, honestly, I like any movie I ever watch. But there were a lot of problems and... Um, well, Jude Law just seems like delightful. Jude, Jude Law? Jude Law just seems delightful as, as Dumbledore. He was great as Dumbledore. I loved him and I loved I Dumbledore. And I, I was really pleased with Johnny Depp's performances as Grindelwald because I thought maybe that would go somewhere south. But he did a fantastic job. I was like, yeah, you're an asshole Grindelwald. This looks great. A little bit of life imitating art, isn't it? <laughs> That's uh, dark art and true. Right. Dark and true. But yeah, something that I had always kind of enjoyed picturing as a Harry Potter fan was Grindelwald and Dumbledore's relationship because they were Harry Potter and Voldemort, but their dynamic was oh. more personal. They were close. They were close friends. Dumbledore was actually in love with Grindelwald, and that's not a spoiler. That's like a a that's canon. That's canon, fact. yeah. That's a canon fact about Dumbledore. He was in love with Bald. So to imagine being in love with the person you have to defeat because he's a dark wizard, I always loved that and was like, "This is fascinating." And watching it actually play out on screen, I'm like, "I understand what you're saying, Leah. It's it's like I don't want you telling me how this goes. I want to I want to stay with what I imagined." Right. Well, and and every time they go deeper one of my favorite parts of the world were the marauders i love the idea of just like these kind of four rebel boys doing extra secret magic that was kind of mysterious mischievous but like also a little bit sinister but mostly you know and i i live in fear that that will be put in front of me in a way that i have to to consume as canon and i can't just let my head run wild with it I think it's really interesting, though, how much we're talking about this, because I don't know if that's a concern for most writers, you know, like the space for the reader's imagination. I think we've grown up in a time, though, where that's where we came from. That's where our inspiration started. And it's not where it ends. You know, this idea of filling in someone's empty spaces was our was where we got our start. I think it would be really selfish to assume that you're the only person that can enjoy the things you make. I, I know what you mean. There are are writers out there who are really resentful and against uh, fan fiction. If I ever wrote something or did something where someone put enough of their heart and soul to create a piece of fan fiction, I would be beyond flattered. I can understand on some level being very attached to what you've created Mm -hmm. and wanting to make sure that it's received in the same context that you've created it, Mm -hmm. but everybody creates their world a little bit differently. Yeah, I was just wondering if that like sort of George Lucas thing of things you've written is because you have more to say or because you don't want other people to be saying it. I don't yeah, think that sure. it's I don't think that it's every writer who's going to be like trying to fill in the gaps themselves because they're annoyed by other people's speculation. Yeah. I think some people do have know. that like OCD tendency like mm-hmm. you know, oh if someone else is filling it in, not that you're full of them, but that you're 
frustrated in yourself that you didn't explain it well enough. Yeah, and I think J.K. and George Lucas are bad examples because you know why they wrote those movies is because they kind of wanted to, and then there was 17 dump trucks full of money that pulled up to their house the moment they said they were going to do it. Yeah. I wanted to say that, but I didn't want to seem, like, cynical. But, like, come on, this was a cash grab. Let's be real. (laughs) And that doesn't inherently mean it's a bad thing. Just... No, it doesn't at all. But yeah, I mean, I think that if I were mo- if I were offered that kind of money to continue writing what I was writing, I don't I don't know that I would object at all. I'd be like, hell yes, no. let me write more. Like I'm yeah. on that. Well, and it's um it's similar to the woman who wrote Fifty Shades did it. The woman that wrote Twilight did it. You know, if you can make your audience happy by going back and telling a story you've already told, why not? Well, and I also think sometimes, and I don't know about you guys, but I start to really love my characters. We talked about this last episode, too, about how sometimes you feel like you have too many main characters. You're, like, trying to narrow it down. I have a fantasy world where I've written different storylines for different characters, like different novels for different characters within this fantasy realm because I love them so much. So I can imagine getting something published and one of those side characters that seems irrelevant, if I got the opportunity to actually publish the novels about that character that I've already written, I would take advantage of that. So maybe for a lot of these people, like expanding on the Harry Potter universe, for example, maybe it's just like that thrill of being able to explore these characters more that you love. That's the the Vampire Diaries thing where you Mm -hmm. write a show, you spin off the villain slash new protagonist into his own thing. That character has a baby. (laughs) You spin that off into their own show. And that's how you get legacy. I mean, that's what the Star Wars prequels are about, right? Pretty much, yeah. George Lucas just was like really wanting to get Jar Jar in there. (laughs) (laughs) Or even Rogue One. Rogue One is, uh, I put it that Rogue One is everyone's Star Wars uh, role-playing game about stealing the plans for the Death Star. It's a thing we've all wanted to know how it happened. And there you go. There's Rogue One. Well, that's why Rogue One works, I think, compared to, I don't know about Grindelwald whatever compared to like solo where those were questions we wanted answered where like oh what's the deal with the philosopher's stone that's fun but it's not pivotal you know if i never knew about that I, the book wouldn't change and i don't know if yeah. rogue one changes star wars all that much changes a new hope all that much because they're, they're movies and it's a little bit different mm-hmm. which i've not seen the fantastic beast movies but mm-hmm. i think that sounds like what their issue is is that extra information like with the prequels doesn't really enhance anything that we already know i don't know what you're talking about i think that midichlorians and anakin's relationship to sand truly affects my entire outlook on we haven't even done the episode that we're gonna do the full episode where we talk about government structure in naboo (laughs) i don't get how they elected a queen who was a child whose platform was no she was elected to not see her people die. She was not elected. She was not elected, yes. Yeah, so she, she was elected to not see her people. Yeah, she was elected on the platform of not seeing her That's people right. suffer and die. Amidala, my people will not suffer. I will I will not see my people suffer and die. <laughs> she doesn't even care about them. She's like, Do you feel more confident in ending your story? Or I mean, mine has become such a... And I think that kind of is going to lead into the next question. Mine has become such a, a collection of things that I, I am looking forward to ending it so I can then expand that. So I don't quite know if there is an ending to get to, but there is a place where I can put it down for a And I do feel confident in the next week or so to get to that place where I can put it down for a bit mm-hmm. and not have it scratching at me at all. Well, and that brings us to our next thing, which is the survival kit for this week. Yeah, so let's talk about the top three things you guys are looking forward to after NaNoWriMo is over. So probably for me, number one would be getting a chance to actually take all of these crazy ideas that I've had with Nano and give them time to breathe and to actually flush them out. Like I feel like throughout the month, all I did was collect cool ideas of stuff. And in trying to hit any kind of word count, I didn't develop them. And it was just sort of like throw things at the wall, see what sticks. So I'm really excited to get the, give those time to breathe. I'm really excited to come home and sit on my couch and not like at my computer desk. And I am excited to, at the same time, I'm excited to keep this habit in whatever form it is going. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, I don't want to sit down and try to write something every day when I come home. 
but I also don't want to lose that until next November. Yeah, there is that bit, like you were saying there, Nano's a bit like visiting a city for college. Like, you're going to move there eventually, but you're going so fast, you see, like, restaurants. You're like, that looks interesting, or that museum looks cool, and you kind of got to, like, bank them until you have the time to, like, actually explore these things. You're kind of just rushing through, trying to get things done. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on that point. What are you looking forward to? Similar to that, Uh, I have this thing written down, uh, multimedia, I suppose, which means to say, like, um, my piece, which is started as a mystery novel, also has a lot of that self-help book I was talking about the other day. I'd like to be able to, like, work on images for that, work on maybe, like, sounds and videos for that, and other pieces that shift into that same same theme and that same momentum, but that aren't writing. Because when you're counting by word, I can't go oh, now I'm going to spend two days making a soundscape to go along with this. Because mm-hmm. that's just time you're not writing and words you can't count. So being able to use that creative energy in ways that aren't just... Well, every blong is one word. Mm-hmm. Every blong is a couple words. Blong. So there's that. Because, you know, with this podcast and with Nano and with discovering how to make all these things work, I'm learning finding all these new technologies that would be fun to play with. And when Nano, you're counting words, I can't go, oh, I made a three-minute video that was a time-lapse of cleaning the room or something like that. You know? mm-hmm. Also, I'm looking forward to uh, editing, having time to edit. Yeah. Uh, I I really like this thing that Nano taught me of just writing, just doing it. Mm-hmm. I need to be reminded of that every few years, you know, because uh, sometimes I get so in my head that I need to get kicked out of it. But sometimes it is nice to sit down sort of really deal with 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 small things i don't do it as much as i used to do but i used to like to write poetry and that really isn't something at least for me that i can just go blah 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 blah, blah. i'm gonna write a thousand words i'm like no this poem is five lines you know i really need to fiddle around with these a little bit it's like a ship in a bottle mm-hmm. uh, so I, I'm, I'm gonna look forward to slowing down a little bit and i'm looking forward to writing by hand it kind of feels like a waste of time to write by hand because I don't want to count it, and I don't want to retype it. So <laughs> with Nano done, I'll be able to sort of write by hand a little bit because they're two different moods. I think writing on the computer for me is a bit more straightforward, and writing by hand is a bit more fun for me. Any fanfic that I've written is all by hand because I do it when I want to. I, I, I try to make it funny, which is a little funner to do by hand. I want you to get back to writing that fan fiction you're writing for me yes there's that one uh, it's called a star wars is born and it is a crossover parody of star is born and star wars uh the last jedi can't wait that sounds beautiful i just, uh, I just want to get a good look at you <laughs> that's not that's not even a star wars line that's just stars but there's full song parodies in it it's wonderful right. that'll be great for my reading bad fan fiction podcast that i one day will start so it's yes. gonna be good uh and then today we were watching where kurt russell is santa claus but santa claus is a superhero or something it's it was very good uh but i'm like why hasn't there been a despicable me christmas movie so i did write down the note a very despicable <laughs> christmas which i'm not gonna i'm not gonna type that up. i'm not gonna take the time to seriously write that on a laptop but all at night when i'm just tired and punch drunk i'll i'll write it by hand that's when you need to buy a copy of final draft and make a real screenplay for it oh yeah sell it to illumination it's got bradley cooper in it (laughs) (laughs) what are you looking forward Um, to jen jesse please um So, um, like Jesse, um, what my the top thing I'm looking forward to really is editing the what I've written because I actually hate hate the feeling of writing something and not being able to edit it because as I'm writing, things will haunt me that I want to go back and change. I'm just like, ah, that bothered me so much, but I know better. I know that I need to focus on writing and getting it out because otherwise I won't get it out. I'll just be stuck editing constantly oh the current version of word it keeps wanting to like help you with concise language and i'm like uh uh-uh nanowrimo we got word counts to hit you get that out of my face yeah i know seriously and you know i do that thing where i use too many adverbs like all those things but i just i let myself do it because it's more important to get the story out the skeleton of what i need but man they the i'm haunted by the things that i remember not fixing 
So I'm really looking forward to fixing those things. Then, I mean, aside from that, it's kind of just the second thing I really look forward to is just being able to write a little more slowly um, and be able to edit Mm -hmm. those things as I'm writing without feeling guilty because they do really haunt me. And I actually hate that feeling of just knowing that I need to go back and change something. Like I hate that feeling. As I write, I like to be able to at least a little bit rework something as I go. Yeah, just tweak things. Yeah, just tweak them. Like not like not get too obsessed with it, right? Because that is counterproductive. But man, I'm looking forward to being able to make my work sound good as I go or at least decent you know so that it doesn't haunt me (laughs) yeah and uh the last thing really is just being able to like chill um and play video games and draw like I try my best not to play video games aggressively during NaNoWriMo I'm really looking forward to playing Red Dead Redemption 2 and looks so cool oh you mean horse genocide too yeah man dude cowboy game i want to play i want to freaking hee-haw through the midwest like it's you know what a fourth thing i'm looking forward to Mm -hmm. what is this podcast gonna look like after nano i'm excited to see what it looks like. oh you know that's actually i too yeah because i want to continue having a writing podcast or you know maybe we could have a general creativity podcast and it can be about you know dungeons and dragons and shit too i don't know like yeah i think no matter what it's gonna be exciting well and personally you know i have never been i've never been successful at NaNoWriMo i get overwhelmed and i want to stop and instead of stopping this year i had more ideas come to me and hit me in more ways to do it and i think a lot of that is due to the two of you just having a place to sit and let everything out there and get feedback that it's good and worthy Mm -hmm. yeah i absolutely think that's true it's just when you um when you're accountable to other people and when you also just have a community it really pulls you in it makes you way more excited that is the the first time i ever took writing seriously was when I joined a writing group in Humboldt County. Humboldt Writers, it's a great group. Anyone who wants to be a writer in Humboldt, join Humboldt Writers. Very fun, and it's free. <laughs> I remember them. Yeah, they're really cool, and they do NaNoWriMo every year as a group, but they meet year-round. And um, it's the first time I ever really took it seriously because being able to meet with other people and talk about it and share ideas, and we played a lot of games too, writing games, and it, it was just fun. It really um, kept me going. Well, I'm excited also to kind of bring in other voices and figure out you know which of our friends are writing and what we're not writing and why yeah very true sweat together sweat together (laughs) hashtag sweat together (laughs) all right guys if you want to share your sweats with us just sweat together hashtag sweat together hashtag sweat together so are you gonna read something for us tonight so yeah i'm gonna read my sweats from today so i've talked a lot about how i have transitioned more into writing little flavor pieces for the dungeons and dragons campaign that i run We had our second session today. Um, I think it went well. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, So what I have is a little excerpt from the wiki that I created of what sort of this big city that ended up disappearing from the world. This was kind of what it was like before it disappeared as a little bit of flavor for my characters. Nestled against the base of the Carithia Mountains, the great city of Jagos sprawled across the plains, encompassing over 1,000 square miles just within its stone walls. While other more reasonable-sized city did exist in Arca, the great city was the true heartbeat of the continent. With the exception of adventuring and farming, any person looking to train in a vocation or to acquire an education had to spend time in Jago. With so much of the population spending its formidable years in one city, even those who did not choose to permanently reside in the city or its immediate vicinity still held a fondness for Jago in their heart. Those who were born and raised in Jago could truly spend their entire lives inside the city limits and never feel the need to explore beyond. The city was compromised of multiple districts, some distinguished by specific trades and crafts, and other by the racial makeup of the citizens who lived there. Besides the Citadel of Radiance, some of the more famous areas of the cities included the Elven Arbor Jam, the Great Furnace, the Noble Arrondissement, and Tunnel Town. The true heart of Jago was the beautifully beautifully ornate temple complex toward the northwestern corner of the city. This multi-pantheon citadel seemed ever-expanding as it housed each of the major faiths of Arca to channel incredible spiritual energy. There often was conflict and division between major religions. Leaders of the major faiths mostly worked together when it came to governing the spiritual aspects of city life. The great city of Jago was ruled as a loose republic where each of the city districts sent a representative to the citadel to argue and negotiate on behalf of their citizens. 
Any organized group could be recognized at any of the magistrative sessions, but often the cacophony of conflicting voices prevented anything cohesive from getting accomplished. Those with money would just push through their own agendas regardless of the magistrative rulings, or the clergy at the Citadel would use their gods as a way to convince the citizens of Jago that their best interests were also the whims of the churches. That's it. Dude, that was beautiful. I really like that basically that city felt like a character, you know, like it had flesh yeah. and blood. And that is really fun for me. Well, and my goal with writing something like that was not necessarily like the tree piece to write something flowery and pretty, but to collect all the ideas I was having. So if I wanted to go back to it later, you know, I named a bunch of different things and didn't explain them so I could go pick them as I needed. I think like the the tree piece, though, I think you told a lot with a little at the same time. I think a lot of the lines were a bit more informative, even though they sounded descriptive. Mm-hmm. And they still were nice to read, like they were descriptive, but also were also very filled with information. I agree with Jesse, definitely. Yeah, like the tree, which I think we called was a secret information dump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Similar that- to that. Yeah, and this is this is a uh, intentionally for reference for a wiki, right? For like your group of people participating in your Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. So then, yeah, I mean, I like that instead of being a direct info dump of like this is the city, here are that like main tourist attractions. Like you actually wrote an attractive kind of story that does still give you all that same information that you need when you go to a Wikipedia article. And it's a little unsettling, I've noticed, for players to feel like they can kind of insert their own ideas we had one player that just joined us today and he's like well i'm you know a sailor i grew up on the coast you know well what would the town be named and i told him like truthfully i don't care if you give me a town name i will make sure that it fits Mm -hmm. you know i want because this is a role-playing game by framing it too much i don't let people create a character and role play that character. But there are certain things that like this that need to be established. These are the things that I care about everyone getting in line with. Yeah. The name of the sea town you grew up with. That's fine. Well, it's something that could be drab and it's not, which is good. And then there's also something that, like you said, it, it doesn't leave those gaps for us because it builds a mood. And so that's almost more informative than saying like, here's how the people are now. They're like this and mad because this reason, you know, I think we get that information about where the people of the town are just based on what the town is like mm-hmm. without having to be explicit. And I think that allows players to have more room to play in a little bit because they understand just sort of inherently where they're supposed to be and doesn't have those strict rules of like, oh, you have to act this way because this happened. If you don't act like these people because they act like this, you'll be weird. But we kind of get that without having those strict rules. One of the things I had planned, which you get to hear and everyone else will hear if they listen to the podcast, I fully intended for there to be a monster for them to fight, but I had players that would rather go back to town do their research and, you know, get a a grip on what it is they were fighting. And so now they're in a completely different town, which I did not expect them to go to. But we get to go to a really fun place creatively because yeah. they keep asking questions. Well, my character gets special special access to libraries, so I kind of forced us. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that, that there's just a character who's just like a freaking library junkie, a Hermione Granger of the group. Well, I didn't, I've never played before, so I kind of just went to go slightly, like, one degree off where I already am. And so he know the character knows a lot of things, because he's not actually done any of it. So now he's out there, and, like, he knows how to speak giant, because he's read it a lot, but he's never actually talked to a giant or seen one. That's actually really cool. I love the idea of that character. That sounds like a lot of fun. But it's fun, because we've been, there have been some, like, really fun, happy accidents in character building we discover that all of the languages that he chose all share Dwarvish script, um, but he doesn't actually speak Dwarvish. I like that. And he's a half-elf. So it all is just kind of that next degree of a little bit silly, which I think is a fun space. I love it, though, because I also think, I don't know, um, uh, I mean, granted, I haven't participated in a lot of D&D in that I've only ever done it twice, but I've never heard of a character like that that um, seemed to have a lot of knowledge, but a less um like experience most of the time people are kind of just cut and dry like i'm a wizard you know so i appreciate creating a character that is a little more relatable and um kind of like someone you could see the world through i think it's one of the things that the various role-playing game companies have pushed to let you have more freedom in the past couple of years but then there have been also things like critical role where you have 
people playing D&D for an audience. And you kind of get the idea that the character outside of its stat block is important too, which I think has brought a lot of fun and life back into the game. Well, and I think that that fits uh, perfectly to the piece you wrote too, where I don't know a lot about it, but I could see before D&D became, I guess, maybe a bit more holistic, that just being like, here's the city, here's its main exports, here's what it's like. And that that is in there, certainly. Mm-hmm. But bigger than that is the mood. Yeah. That is very effective in that sense. If that's what it's meant for, certainly. I think if maybe if this was an opening to your novel, it might be a little bit different. I think there's still a lot of the same sort of information dump you have to do. But what I'm seeing here is a real high fantasy novel. So if that's not what you want to write, right. then you'd have to change it a little bit. It was but meant to sound more for, like an encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. Than an actual piece of prose. So in that context, yeah. Well, also with fantasy, um, cities and world building and all of that really should feel uh, alive and feel like a character because it's such a crucial part of entering a fantasy world is just falling in love with the world. So it's important to have mood with every city and mood with every you know, major port or major, you know, any major landmark needs to have that life. Yeah. Well, you guys even talked about with the Humboldt area, how it does feel like there's a secret sinister feel to it. That happens in real life. Yeah. You get a sense of the place you're in just by being in it. I mean, that's the difference between a postcard and going somewhere. Right. Your piece is not a postcard. That's actually very beautiful, (laughs) Jesse. That was very poetic. I like that. (laughs) That's going to go on one of our (laughs) t-shirts. Underneath uh, giving Pierce Brosnan a good suckle or whatever I said last week. (laughs) (laughs) Just pure trash and and some poetry. Right? Pure trash, pure poetry. So with that, I appreciate your guys' feedback so much. I think that does it for another episode of Right Sweat. So we, Hooray, we did it, guys. We did it. So <laughs> only one more episode left for NaNoWriMo. And then it's next over. week will be after it ends. So it'll be our, our, our NaNo in review. Yeah. Wow. All right. So NaNo in review next week, yeah. guys. So in the meantime, be sure to check us out on Instagram, on Facebook, recommend us to your friends, review us on iTunes. And remember, if you love us, you'll send us 20 pretzels. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. See ya.